Welcome back. This is Jim Cimbala, Senior Pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. We are going to continue my new series, The Calling, a podcast for Christian leaders. Do you remember the time Jesus got really angry? That's right. The Son of God, filled with love, got angry, really angry. And you make your own rope and you start knocking their tables over and throwing them out of the temple area. I'd say he's upset. That's a hard picture for us. But it's true, isn't it? And a couple of the gospel narratives give us mention of that. And let's read the one in Matthew. Matthew 21, verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. This is in Matthew's account, the last visit he made to Jerusalem. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. So what was happening there with the doves, and the Bible also mentions here that they had money changers. Well, people were going to give offerings there. So they would come from far away to the temple on one of their pilgrimages to Jerusalem, and there were money changers there who were making a profit. It was a big upcharge as they were changing currency from another one, another country or land to the currency as was called the temple currency. And there were also people selling doves. What were doves for? If you were too poor, you bought doves right on the spot to have as an offering. You weren't well enough off to get a lamb or some bigger cattle. No, just a dove. But they were like, what? I have to pay that for the dove? Hey, my friend, it is what it is. Jesus saw the whole thing. As he broke it all up, he said, don't you know that you're perverting the nature of my father's house? My father's house, and this is from the Old Testament, he's quoting, shall be called a house of prayer. A house of prayer for all nations, all peoples, no target groups, all nations, house of prayer. Now, when you put that together with Paul's letter to Timothy, you find out that this was a priority that they carried on. Listen, Paul says, I urge then, 1 Timothy 2, First of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. First of all, I want prayer, Paul says to Timothy in the church. This is what God wants, prayer. Did you ever notice that the disciples never said to Jesus, Master, teach us to preach. But they did say, oh, Lord, teach us to pray. They knew that there was something about his being alone with the Father, getting up early in the morning, sometimes all night with the Father in communion, that made him able to do what he did. They knew the secret. And they say, we want to be like that. Teach us to pray. Not only teach us how to pray, but teach us to pray, to actually do it. So that's the question before us. Do we want our churches to be houses of prayer? Or just houses of preaching and praise and worship, and that is all excellent. It all has its place. But petitions, intercessions, aren't there enough needs around us? Come on, let's be real. Let's in downtown Brooklyn, they call it, let's do real talk. Real talk is this. There are not enough wayward children among your congregational members that we don't need to take time to call out to God to bring them back. There's not enough prodigals. Oh, yes, there are. You know that, and I know that. There's not enough financial problems. There's not enough sick people, not enough discouraged people, not enough people ready to quit, not enough weak Christians 
that can't seem to walk in victory. There's not enough around us to just shut down everything to pray. What do you think? Pastor Jim, I mean, I didn't grow up that way. We're not that kind of church. See, we have a different model of church. Everyone has their own style. That's nonsense. It's Jesus who's building his church. You and I have no right to change the nature of his church. And he said, my house will be called a house of prayer. Paul says, first of all, not preaching, not praise and worship. That all has its place, as I've said. But call on God. Why? For our good and for his glory. Things get accomplished when people pray and churches pray. Remember when Peter was arrested in the book of Acts? Herod found out that it pleased the people, so he killed James, the brother of John. That was a big loss to the church. Then he arrested Peter. Wow, now they were in trouble. Peter is their main man. There's going to be a mock trial. But in the end, Peter is gone. And the Bible says, Peter was kept in prison with guards in a dungeon, but a stream of prayer, one translation has it. Everything was shut down, and the church gave themselves to pray. Oh, God, deliver Peter. Oh, God, we can't lose this leader. They prayed him out of prison. Read the story. An angel appeared. There was a miraculous intervention from heaven. And Peter got out and went back to the house where they were praying. My goodness, we've never seen what God can do when a church prays. That's why Satan will block anything. He doesn't like preaching. He does not like even when we praise God. But pastor, listen, you settle in your mind. I want my church to become more and more a house of prayer. All hell will break loose. All hell. Listen, whether for your own life, my life, or the church's life, he knows what corporate prayer can do. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and you know that promise in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, Jesus said men ought always to pray, and women, and never give up. The New Testament churches that were models of what our churches should be, they were houses of prayer. They prayed. Acts 2 tells us that when the gospel first went out, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, good teaching, and in fellowship, koinonia, loving each other, and in the breaking of bread, probably love feasts and also a communion, remembering the Lord's death, and in prayers. That's what they gave themselves to. That's not the model of most churches. What do you think? No, tell me in your town, in your city. How many churches have a prayer meeting? My next episode I want to do is how to begin a prayer meeting. But before we get to at least what I've learned, mistakes I've made. But, oh my goodness, what things can go on when people pray? You know what Spurgeon, the English preacher, said? His prayer meeting was the engine that drove his church. He was known as the orator, and people published his sermons. I mean, people are still quoting Spurgeon 120 years after he preached something or more. But he said, no, the engine that drives our church is our prayer meetings when we call on God together. If any two or three of you agree as touching something, there's power in corporate prayer. So that brings us to, do we really want to see our churches become houses of prayer or just we want to do the new model, the new model? I'm not interested in the new model or the old model. I'm interested in the Bible model. I mean, what right would anyone have to reinterpret what Jesus wants for his church? So listen, if we don't do this and we don't have houses of prayer, we're going to be facing battles that we could have avoided if we just had given ourselves corporately to pray. The miracles God could do. So come on, how do you begin? We'll talk about that in the next episode. But first, it begins with us. If you and I are not convicted 
and resolute in no, there will be a growing element of prayer in my church. God, I know it's your will. I don't have to ask about it. I'm not sure if you want me to drive a Mercedes, but I do know you want my church to be a house of prayer. That's a given. So it has to begin with us because the people will know if we believe in this. I've talked to pastors all over the place who say to me, well, we have a night to pray. Uh, you know, there are a bunch of ladies, few people, 14, 15 people gather, and they have a corner of the building while we're doing more fun things, you know, for the family. Why aren't there more prayer meetings? Let's talk real, okay? Because people don't come. But doesn't that speak to our ministries? We'll pay money for a concert to hear a gospel artist, but for free to be with God and see what he can do. Nobody goes. That's why churches, listen, don't believe anybody else's excuse or this other stuff about I have a different model of, of, of doing church. The reason people don't have prayer meetings, the pastors know what God has promised, is they know nobody will come and it won't look good. Wow, I had 800 on Sunday and 11 on Wednesday night for prayer. It doesn't look good. I don't look good. I don't want that. I don't want a downer like that. But doesn't that speak to my value as a minister? Doesn't that say something about Jim Cimbala? That he ministers and he ministers, and when it's just Jesus and no, no Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir and no, no uh, uh, fog machine and, and lights and all that other stuff, just gathering like they did in the New Testament to talk to the Lord and tell him our problems, nobody wants to come. Come on, we can turn that around. Yes, we can. God wants it, and he's going to help us. Let's begin today starting to see our churches become houses of prayer.